Hi, I'm Nadia DeMarco and this is my Diary of a Fit Bird podcast where we will be discussing all things fitness, food and of course the 4-3-2-1 method. Hi and welcome to another 4-3-2-1 method podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Julie Gordon. Welcome Julie, who's been a tennis professional in the industry for over 20 years uh, she knows Julio well, which is how she got roped into this. Um, so Julie, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into tennis initially? Hey, hi Nadia, and thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Um, I, I first got into tennis um, playing when I was about 11 years old, and my brother and I went along to the local club and kind of caught, caught the bug and the love for the game. And uh, I started volunteering as a coach when I was 15, um, the tennis club were looking for someone to help with the youngsters and I quickly found that it was something that I really enjoyed Great. and uh, I, I continued as a coach till I was 18 and then someone suggested that I went for a qualification which I thought well that's great, I'll, it'll help me be better at what I'm doing and um, after that I just was I was always involved in coaching really and, until the present day. Um, I did I did my first qualification when I was 18 at David Lloyd and Renfrew, which yes. I just was quite newly open, so it was very exciting to uh-huh. go to this indoor tennis venue. Um, and then in my mid-twenties, I, after graduating with a degree in literature, I ended up becoming a full-time tennis coach. And in my mid-twenties, I kind of did further coach qualifications. Um, I kind of, it was called the CCA at the time. I think it's yes. now like the level four. And then... Um, in my mid-30s I went back again and thought right I, I want to get the best qualification I can okay, cool. did my level 5 so I've, I've I've been committed to coaching and been coaching for like well over 20 years now and did you ever see when you went to uni to do literature did you ever think that you wouldn't carry on coaching or was coaching just always part of the plan well, co- coaching was never part of the plan oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just it was just something I did in my spare time and uh, I remember when I was 19 at university I got a call from I was obviously on a register of coaches. I got a call from the from someone called Rob Hardy, who um, he was the tennis development officer at Scottsdale Leisure Centre at the time, and he, he called me up and said, can you come and help? We've got this ladies' evening and we need a female coach. And I was like, I've never coached adults. I'm 19, but I look like I'm 12. I don't think I can do this. He went, oh, come, on, come along, give it a try. So so I did that and I, I loved it. And I still know some of the women that I coached. Oh, wow. In fact, some, some of the women I coached at that session have become coaches themselves now. Oh, um, and then after that, um, I finished university and I started doing a master's. And again, this opportunity came up with an organisation called the Cliff Richard Tennis Trail. Oh, right. And it had come to Greenock. And so Julio, Julio was involved in this as well. He and I did coaching in Greenock at the time. And um, they said, look, we need someone to do the schools coaching, which is going to be nine schools during the day. Are you free? And I was like, okay, I'll think I can do my master's on yeah. the side. <laughs> that, that, that soon fell by the wayside. Um, so I ended up doing this kind of full-time school role. And then I started getting asked to work at different clubs round about the west of Scotland and so I kind of fell into it through this opportunity. I see, okay. I found that I loved it um, and then um, two or three years later I thought well maybe I should use my degree so I trained as a teacher so I was a high school teacher oh, okay, teaching cool. English for a while but coaching was always there so I, I, I used to work in school during the day, go to the club and coach after school and at weekends 
So it's just always been there in my life. I've, I've always coached. It's interesting because when I spoke to Julio, him and I said the same thing. Obviously, our, our jobs can be very different, but actually there's loads of similarities. And we were saying it's quite hard to walk away from that kind of job of, of helping people. You always feel like you're pulled back in. Absolutely. And, you know, he's still feeling that way because he's kind of left tennis to come work in the business with me. But yet he's still doing some tennis. He can't sort of. Absolutely, um, yeah. And what do you think it is that kind of always draws people back in as a coach specifically? Is it kind of helping people grow, or you know? I think, I think that's it. I think it's. Um, I think as you as you when you start coaching, you you do it partly because the love of the sport. Yes. And uh, I I also loved I've always loved working with children, so I've always felt I've had a skill there. Yes. But as time goes on, you think less of the sport and more about the sport as a medium for helping people. Yes. And um, I think that's what it is. I think it's like the relationships you make, um, the fact that you get to see children develop in all sorts of different ways, not yes. not, not just in the sport, and you know. It's, it's a, it feels like a real privilege to work in sport as a coach. Yes. You know, people choose to spend their spare time taking part in these activities. Absolutely. They're usually quite motivated to be part of sessions. Um, and also, as a, a participant, I'm actually getting a lot of exercise through that. Yes. So when I think of other professions where people are sitting at desks, um, I feel we're so lucky. You know, we, we basically enjoy. I think when you stop coaching for a while, you realise you miss the physical activity levels yes, you got that's from also that, true. Mm-hmm. And, and you miss the interaction with children and adults that you work with. And listen, it's just like having a laugh for a living. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And and actually, to to touch on that, working with the the, the adults and children, what I always think is that um, when people aren't involved in sport, they imagine that sports really competitive and it's all about technique and it's um, particularly a sport like tennis and you know they think it's very technical but actually I always think that kids and adults get much more back from sport than just the sport itself yeah and like is that something that you feel as well like have you seen kids or adults come into the tennis club and really grow in lots of different ways not just oh their tennis is better you know how has it sort of helped them in their life if you like oh listen I you see that again and again it's probably why we keep doing the job we're doing because yeah. you get such a lot of personal satisfaction from seeing people grow mm-hmm. like I work at Western Tennis Club in, in Glasgow and we see a lot of adults come who are maybe new to the area yeah. and all of a sudden the tennis gives them a, a medium where they can join the club make friends play competitive games join in social events it gives them a sense of belonging yeah. so it's he obviously you've got the the physical exercise side and you know they can improve their techniques but mm-hmm. actually it's feeling like you belong somewhere yeah our, our club is very much a, a part of the community i think when someone joins that from outside you really can see and in recent years i've, I've actually noticed that i think we've got better at engaging parents okay. of children that come to the club and recently we've seen again maybe a parent that comes along brings their child to lessons all of a sudden, uh, you know, you maybe invite them to come to one of our family tennis sessions. They start playing with the child as well. And all yes. of a sudden you see these adults actually starting to interact more with the children, thinking they can't do it, but actually finding they can. Yes, Growing in confidence. And it gives them this nice social interaction with their child in a, in a physical um, activity context, yes. which is great fun for everyone and actually you can see it building the confidence of the adult as well as the child yeah and it's a great way actually for families to kind of work out together because I you know although I, I obviously 
I'm all about doing a workout program, but something I do encourage my clients to do is just to get out there and be active. I think that's really, really important. And particularly if you can be active with your family, I think it's really just absolutely ideal because it doesn't feel, it It just feels like part of your fun weekend. It doesn't feel like I've had to go out and do a workout, for example. Absolutely. You know? And I think, I think there's a lot more things out there for families now. I think especially, you know, with the, the kind of background factors like, you know, the obesity crisis yes. and all these things. But a couple of things that I, that I strongly promote is our, our family tennis is free. So okay. we, so you can, there's no barrier to come. Um, and also another thing that I think has been amazing is a junior park run. I don't know if right. you've come across no, that before, no. but park runs like a national and international incentive. It's a free uh-huh. timed 5k. Yes, I knew on that. I knew one for adults, but and then there's know. there's one in Sunday. A few there's one at Victoria Park. There's one at um, Park in the South Side. Pollock. Not Pollock. It begins with R. Rookin Glen. Glen. That's yes. it. But there's one there, and they're they're every Sunday morning half past nine. Right. Two k for four to fourteen year olds. Oh wow! But again, I, I volunteered at a lot of these, and what I've noticed is that yeah, it's fantastic. It's actually mm-hmm. the people that volunteer say it's it's uh, food for the soul. Seeing these wee faces wow. like yes. running up to the finish line. But what what you also notice is that a lot of the parents participate as well. Mm-hmm. So they're t- they're taking part together as a family. Yes. And a parent who might never run. Or, or even walk much yes. uh, suddenly they're getting this regular exercise on a Sunday so I think I think um, you know getting families together to yes. do sport as you say is, is, a, is a great thing to yes. do and also it keeps children involved yes. uh, they're more likely to take I, I noticed that at my club in particular which is where I observe most things it's um, the fact that people that more than one member of the family take part mm-hmm. they're more likely to stay for years yes and improve and yep so if it's just the child they can kind of fade away, but mm-hmm. if mum and dad are involved as well, or maybe an aunt, not or uncle, or um, a little boy, a little boy's uncle got bought my membership recently, and, and the two of them have been down here every day. Oh wow! So it's that's that's the gold dust, you know. Like yes. if adults take the interest as well, you know. Yes, and when you've you're, you've obviously worked with a lot of kids over the years, and there's obviously a big push to get kids into sport. And again, you know, sport can be quite a scary place for kids who would consider themselves not sporty, whether that be accurate or not, is not always, it's sometimes unknown, but they consider themselves to be kind of not very sporty. But what do you notice with kids that come and kind of keep participating? What, how do you notice them sort of grow um, in other ways than just the sports? Obviously for kids, there's so many other positives to being part of a club and doing a sport every week rather than just the skills if you like oh, absolutely um it's, it's funny because uh, t- tennis is a sport where you know it's, it's very out there in the media mm-hmm. and I think it's difficult to play in competitions you have to be pretty good to to do that and mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's a challenge for us to keep children motivated and um but I think it's down to these other skills as yes. you say and um, this year at the club, we tried to kind of promote a value-based system. Right. So we got the coaches together in January and we said, look, what, what, what's important? What do we want the children's experience to be at this club? What, what values are important? What values are we going to promote? Mm-hmm. And um, we came up with three words, enjoyment, effort and respect. So we try and, we try and get these values to underpin everything we do. Oh, wow. Like every class, every coaching lesson every match play session we do every competition we run and we give out we do things to incentivize the children like give out medals 
every week player of the week medal they take Good. it away they bring it back for the child that's shown the most effort the most respect and, and tennis lends itself quite well to that because you've, you've got respect for the line calls calling the balls in and out respect for your opponent um, what one one thing I got from my good friend Emma Doyle, <laughs> uh, she said um, at the end of each match you have to shake hands with your opponent and say thank you for making me a better player. Oh wow! Because you're really reflecting then in that moment. Most children beat themselves up; they think they're terrible. That's it was, it's all their fault they lost. Yeah, that's part of their developmental journey. Yeah, but it helps them to switch mindset if they start to think, well, well, thank you for making me a better player because. Because you moved me about so much on the court today, um, you know you got that's uh, I've I've got lots of practice doing that. Or I absolutely love that. I've managed to return. I've managed to get a practice at returning balls because your serve's so good. Uh huh. Um, and so we found that's been a great a great thing, and it's been great for the coaches as well to have that, you know, kind of yes. structure. I really love that, and that so kind of positivity and, it, and that idea that it's all about learning. It's not uh, just about winning. Uh, people will be laughing because they know how competitive I am if they're listening to this. Well, listen, but, I'm the same. It's so important <laughs> to learn. But I actually, you know, I uh, I am incredibly competitive, but I love learning from people. I have, one of my best friends um, is an incredible tennis player. She beat me every week when we used to play. But I loved learning from her. She used to, she taught me how to serve. You know, I never didn't want to play her. It wasn't the case where I was yeah. like, well, I'm not coming in to play you this week because you're going to beat me. Uh-huh, I've uh-huh. never beaten yeah. her, not even a game, never mind a match. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, she's a very, very good tennis player. And I'm distinctly okay. Um, and But I love that because I loved learning from her. And she, she used to teach me how to do things. And I was like, oh, that's cool. She can She's shown me how to do that. So it was never about her beating me I then never really bothered I just accepted she was considerably better she went for lessons all these things to play competitions so I just knew I wasn't going to beat her but I enjoyed learning from her and I love that you have building that in it's really incredible no and it's been it's been very successful because you know tennis is a bit like if you only measure yourself it's very outcome orientated mm-hmm. yes so you either win or lose so mm-hmm. like what you've just described if you went and played your friend every week and you evaluated yourself if, mm-hmm. whether you won or lost yes. you're going to be pretty unhappy because totally. she's, she's always going to beat you every week so it, get, it gives people other things to aspire to you know absolutely um, and, that, and that's true of life like that's how you transfer those skills to life because in life you know I always think that about sport it's just the perfect analogy for life you know things aren't always going to go your way sometimes you've got to pick yourself up there's always learning moments you know that is what sport I think gives you overall totally um, yeah. and I it's interesting you're talking about the learning because I think we, we were talking before we started today about we both love podcasts. Yes, yes. And I, I was I was listening to a podcast last week. I think it was Courtside Dad, which right. I highly recommend. Okay. Um, and the 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 they were saying that I think in fact it was Simon Wheatley who's a tennis educator. Okay. And he was saying we're we're, we're not we're not trying to create elite athletes yes we're trying to create elite learners oh wow and I thought that was a really interesting way to think yes, about it yes. so and and again I think as a coach over the years I think when you start as a coach I used to go into a lesson and think what can I teach today mm-hmm. but as you move on I think you start to think well what can they learn yes and I think that is a flip in perspective Absolutely. so it's, instead of thinking how can I impart what I know to you I think how can I create an environment that you're going to, to maximise your learning. Yes. And that yeah, might not that might involve me not telling you anything at all, you know. Yes. Um, 
I, I like I like the phrase teaching without telling. Yes. I think that's when when you develop the other great thing about coaching is that you just are constantly learning and evolving yourself. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes the best lessons I feel now are where I've said very little, but you've created an environment and you can look back and say they learned a lot today, mm-hmm. and I didn't even tell them anything. You know. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think so. Creating elite learners, people who are good problem solvers, who are adaptable, who can come up with ideas themselves. That's what's going to help them become not just better tennis players, mm-hmm. but it'll give them skills that they can use in other aspects of life. You yeah, know? yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I really like that kind of that mindset and that way of looking at things. Yeah. Um, which I suppose takes us nicely on to um a bit of sports psychology, which I know you've got a bit of a background in. Um, and it's something that fascinates me, sports psychology. Um I don't know an awful lot about it. I know it's incredibly important, uh, particularly at the elite level. So let's let's start at the elite level and then let's kind of bring it down to kind of what just kind of average people can learn from it. But um, what have you taken away mostly from learning about sports psychology at that kind of level, at the kind of Andy Murray level? Like what has really um, like piqued your interest in that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think you know when you when you when you watch after matches and press conferences and read the newspapers mm-hmm. and you can pick up the things now that you think you know that are linked to psychology mm-hmm. you know like and a lot of them now are openly you know saying that they've got psychologists in their box yes. I think recently at the US Open fight or US Open this year I think Medvedev he was, has a sports psychologist in his box you know okay. um but I mean I, I got into it because I thought basically as I evolved as a coach I started to think well you know what I'm really interested in here is this mindset how people learn how you motivate them but and all of these things apply you know at club level and you know elite level absolutely and uh, I did um, a master's at Stirling University and, and it was called psychology of sport and there's just so many different aspects to it from you know, social identity side of it, which I think is really interesting. Yes. I think, so it's like, you know, at, at the performance side of things, you know, the elite side, it's people form a very strong athletic identity. So their sense of personhood is very linked to being a tennis player. Okay. And I think at the elite level, that's been kind of showcased in the last few years, like um, there's been a few mental health problems on that side. I think you have to be careful to, not completely tie up your identity with your with your sport. Yes. Because then, absolutely. when that sport leaves your life, or you leave that sport, mm-hmm. are you? Are, what are you worth? You know. So things like that have yeah. been really interesting, and I think as well, even at club level, it's creating when when you you know teach children in groups, giving them a feeling of belonging. What does it mean to be part of this group? Um, how are we going to help each other? All these kind of things, and I, but. But athlete identity has been one of the things that I've found quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've also been taking quite a big interest in um, the sports psychology literature is now looking a lot at parenting in sport. Okay. Which is, when I think about when Julio and I were growing up, yes. our, our parents would have just sent us down, go, they didn't take that much interest. In and yeah. sport was just something you did. They didn't see it as an extension of their parenting. Um, creating opportunities for us was but yes. they didn't you know but nowadays parents are very involved in sport and tennis and football and do you think that's more of a positive or can it be a bit of a negative to get creates pressure for the kids and things uh, I, th- I think i think it can be both i mean okay. p- part of what, what i'm interested in is the positive side because yes. the, the negative side gets a lot of media coverage yes, you know of course. from fathers poisoning their daughter's <laughs> opponents in france true story like <laughs> oh my goodness uh, 
to you know people like you know uh, the Australian Tomich's dad and Steffi Graf's dad. There's always these stories mm-hmm. of negative things, yes. but actually, um, the parent is the person who you know spends the most time with the child and mm-hmm. is the most influence. And I think I think coaches traditionally. I mean, I'm generalising here, but a lot of tennis coaches are maybe males in their twenties, mm-hmm. and they maybe don't have quite the skills to raise with parents on a level that's going to get the best for the athlete. Um, this is in tennis. Yes. So I think there's lots of possibilities there for um, connecting parents, coaches, and athletes. They call it the athlete triad. Right. We're talking about it in the research literature, but I think there's a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. that psychology can bring to kind of help build those relationships and yes. and get the most out, out of it for everyone, you know? Yes, yes. Because I, I suppose if we go right back to what we were talking about at the beginning, if the parents take more of an interest in terms of just playing with the children and encourage them to go down, that can only be a good thing. But that's totally different from pressurising them from the side of the court. So there's two, Absolutely. you know, there, there's, that's two different ways of, of parenting and being involved. And obviously one's incredibly positive and one not quite yep. as much. So I suppose it depends how the parents get involved is maybe the more important thing. Absolutely. But the thing um, that I that always interests me about sports psychology is that uh, athletes always have such a strong mindset um, and they have to, to compete at that level. And what I always wondered is what can an individual who sorry I should also say they then can carry that into other aspects of their life so whenever you see an athlete apply himself to something out with their comfort zone they tend to be quite good at it because they think they they have this way of applying themselves and getting a strong mindset and being quite committed and quite disciplined Um, and I sort of wonder what can just an average person who's getting into exercise getting into sport what can they learn from that mindset because I think people associate that as something that they don't have. Yep. But actually, I think it's something that everyone can learn to have. Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah, okay, they maybe don't need it on such a level as a professional athlete. They maybe don't need such a strong mindset. But I think there's something that people can learn from that. Would you agree that you can learn a lot from... No, absolutely. I, I think it's... Um, I suppose it's like everyone can have a champion mindset. Yes. And, and that's another thing that, you know, you try and instill in the children when, when you're coaching them. It's... A champion mindset doesn't just belong to the person that wins everything. Yes. But so what? What is a champion mindset? If you if you start to unpick it a little bit, there's um an, another kind of coach educator out there called Alistair McCaw. Okay. He's got quite a good quite a lot in that. You might want to follow him on Twitter. Okay, I will do. Um, I will do. But again, but again, I think a lot of it comes down to values and um. The, a, 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 an example to maybe illustrate this would be the, the LTA, the Lawn Tennis Association, and their coach education. They encourage when coaches to think about an, an athlete as a player and a performer. Right. And there's quite a lot out there now, like, you know, treat the person first and then the athlete. And But, but what does it mean? So um, they kind of set it up using the four performance factors. So you've got technical, tactical, physical, mental. Yep. So if you look at your athlete as a performer, then you're looking at the mental and physical side of, okay, yes. of, of, their, of their performance or their game. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are they mentally performing? How can we help them there? Um, how are they physically performing? You know, And then the, t- the, the player side is, you know, can they hit a forehand? Do they know of how course. to construct yes. a point at the tactical side? Um, and I think... I think sep- I think thinking about people in a person centered way um is is one way that you can kind of build this mindset so yes. what is really important to someone understanding their values 
um, their map of the world. Yeah. That's another one from wow. my friend Emma Doyle. But yeah. I think trying to really find find out what is important to someone, and like for, like when I was talking earlier that we've decided in our coaching team that we're going to promote the values of enjoyment, effort, respect. Yeah, but what's important to, you know, an adult in, in, in your programme, you know? Yes. What else do they have going on in their life? And how, how can you help them, you know, to build this kind of growth mindset, champion mindset? I think athletes are really lucky because they've got so much support. Yes. So somebody who's got to that stage, yeah, they, um, yeah they're very motivated. They'll have a lot of drive, but there's no doubt they'll have had a lot of support. And I think you'll find that successful people in life, mm-hmm. um, there's a model, another model that I quite like to talk about is to do with transformational leadership. So, how do you, how do you, how do you transform your life or an area of your life? Well, yeah. there's a kind of triangular thing: vision, support, challenge. So, right. let's say my vision is to lose weight and run a ten k. Yes. So, what's going to help me achieve that vision? What's going to give me that champion mindset? Mm-hmm. Well, I need lots of support in my life. Because uh, let's just say I'm a mother with three kids and I'm, I work full time. So yes. I would need a lot of support to let me get out running, to help prepare the shopping or the foods yes. and the meals. And then I, but I also need challenge. So and it's getting the balance between I need to challenge myself and, you know, accept that challenge. And maybe maybe I'll have a personal trainer or I'll run with a friend once a week. or But I need to put mechanisms in place. Yes. And, um, and I'm a, a big believer in goal setting. So yes. I do think that athletes one thing I think we could definitely learn from like kind of elite sport is that goal setting and planning and programming and preparing yes pre- preparation is crucial and could not agree more <laughs> the preparation side is 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 your goal setting it's sitting down and saying I want to run that 10k this year and what do I need to do and, and breaking that down that's your outcome goal yes you've got I'm going to run a 10k and I'm going to run an under an hour um and my performance goal Underneath that is going to be, I'm going to do three 5Ks in the lead up to see if I can get 25 minutes, which will build my confidence to, and then my little process goals underneath that will be, I'm going to try and jog five times a week, um, start off twice a week, building up to five times yes. a week, and I'm going to go to the gym so I don't get injured. That's my process goals. I'm going to test my performance at those 5Ks, do a couple of part yeah. runs. And then if I get all of that in place, all that kind of building blocks, hopefully I'll achieve my outcome. And I think goal setting and and having support, enough support and challenge can help you realise your vision. Absolutely. And the thing thing that I've learned about goal setting um, is is a term that's banded about a lot. And I have a lot of clients that set goals. You know, it's one of the first questions I ask them, what, what do you want to achieve? And they've got quite good at the goal setting now because it's, it's kind of drilled into them. It's everywhere. It's at work. It's, you know, it, 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 it's a term they're familiar with, but they're not so good at the planning. That's, I mean, if any of my clients are listening to this, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about because I constantly say, well, how are you going? So how, what's the plan? How are we going to get there? You know, um, same, especially when it comes to nutrition, like you have to plan ahead because you're trying to change habits. And if you don't plan, then all you're going to do is fall back into the, your old routine in terms of, maybe not exercising and your old routine of eating poorly you have to plan and I think you're absolutely right that is what uh, athletes do very well they now they plan meticulously and potentially kind of average Joes don't need to 
to plan that meticulously but they do need a plan to follow saying you're going to do it is not enough having the goal is not enough there has to be a plan in place to reach that goal like absolutely i, I totally agree i think i think it's helpful to think to break down your goals and that performance and process absolutely way. and um i think the other thing is that so and what happens like i was discussing this with a friend the other day and about the goal setting and, and we were saying but yeah but how do I how do I stick to my goals okay I can break it all day how do I stick to it yes and I think it's I think when you say you're right it's bandied about a lot this mm-hmm. term and I think understanding the background to motivation in the first place what's going to keep me motivated and there's this kind of uh, the motivation theory out there um says that motivation is based on three things competence autonomy and relatedness and I, I remember that by the acronym CAR, C-A-R, yes. which I quite like because it's like drive. What's yeah, going to give yes. you the drive to drive your car? So motivation. But um, competence, how good am I at something? So mm-hmm. if, I, if, I, if we stick to the 10K, you know, analogy, Absolutely. you know, I can only walk around the block. I can't even run one lamppost, let's say, at the start. Yeah. So I, I feel low in competence. Yes. So I could fall at the first hurdle. You know, so you've got to think, why, what do I need to build confidence? So the process goal should reflect that. Yes. Um, autonomy, I need to feel like, you know, I, I'm making decisions. It's like uh, when, we, when, when we're explaining this to adults, we say, well, at work, are you happy at work? You're, people are usually happy at work if they're good at their job, mm-hmm. if they've got some choice over what they do, and that they've got people they enjoy being with. That, yes. That's the relatedness side. So, you know, tying that in with goals, you've got to think, well, is it realistic? You know, am I good enough to do this, or and what do I need to do to become good enough? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I might have to lose a stone, a stone and a half, before I can really start to run. Um, and then the autonomy thing. You do do I have? Can I can I make choices about what I'm doing? Do I, are there enough things in place to allow me, um, to feel in charge? Yes. And then relatedness is. I think it's a massive thing. It's like. People achieve more, I think, in groups. Absolutely. Um, I think they, they, with a team, that might just be one person. You and I meet once a week to go for a run. It might be the only time we run. Yeah. But, and then... Um, Makes a big difference, though, yeah, having but, having that kind of belongingness and feeling like this person's in this with me totally. <laughs> and we're doing it together. And uh, actually, I feel that the most... I mean, obviously, you know that tennis is... I work in tennis, I love tennis, but in, in my spare time, I do a lot of running. Yes. And... I've noticed that running's hard for people. You know, a lot of people they aspire to run. It's quite easy. It's kind of known as a way to lose weight. It's it's not as complicated as taking up a skill based sport of like course, tennis. Yes. But there's a lot of barriers, and and they usually come down to one of these factors. So, um, I started. In fact, it's going to be. I think it's going to be week fifteen. With a couple of friends, we started a running club out of Western. Oh, um, so I think I think we're on run number fifteen this Thursday and. We'd basically run Edinburgh Marathon as a relay team to raise money for charity. Oh, great. It's our third, um, myself and uh, my personal trainer, Paul Murphy, we do it every year. It's our third year of doing it and people love it because they get this sense of achievement. They, they do, they run a marathon, mm-hmm. but in a chunk. Yes. So they do a four mile, an eight mile or a five mile and mm-hmm. they train for it. But then on the day, they're part of this team. We've all That's raised wonderful. money for charity. There's a feel good factor. And so after this year, we thought, how can we keep this going? So every Thursday, seven o'clock, we, a bunch of us meet and go for a run. Now, I, I know some of them are like, oh, I'm only running at this group now, but that's better than nothing. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. So, and it's keeping up their motivation because they come and they meet friends. That's the yes. relatedness. They choose to come. 
and the, their, their skill level might be, you know, plateauing at the moment, but at least they've got a base yeah, and then if, if at some point they decide, I always say to people, it's good to keep your hand in. You know, I, you know, I've got a lot of clients who, at various times in their life, time does not particularly allow them to do the prescribed four sessions that I want them to do, or you know, to keep on top of everything. And I always say, well, just keep your hand in. Do one a week. Do two a week. Do Absolutely. whatever you can, because then when the time does come back to you and you've got you've got a little more free time to apply yourself. It doesn't seem so scary. Whereas exactly. if you stop entirely, so they might only be running once a week, but actually doing that means if they then are able to pick up again, they, they'll feel comfortable too. Whereas if they stop completely, they may never restart. Totally. You know, I so that's great once to keep, a momentum, really, just keep the momentum going. Yeah, yeah. momentum's really important. That's, yeah. that, that is really important. Uh, well, listen, Julie, thank you so much for all your time. I'm like, really learned a lot today like I really it's been such a fantastic podcast so thanks so much for taking the time out to chat to us and um and uh, <laughs> and enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much Nadia and I really enjoyed that so thanks a lot <laughs> thanks for joining me on this week's Diary of a Fit Bird podcast to follow more of my journey join me on social media at Diary of a Fit Bird or to learn more about my methods, go to the 4321method.com.